Father, we just open our hearts. We want to hear from you. We want your word to rest in our heart, to touch us, challenge us, and to move us. We want to experience you uh, coming upon our lives, Lord, as we open our heart to hear your word today. Amen. Amen. Why don't you open your Bible with me, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And uh, I, I have uh, I got more than I can do in a day, but uh, we'll just give it a go today and see how far we can get. And uh, 1 John chapter 2. And uh, I want to just uh, open up by just looking at this. 1 John chapter 2, and we read it verse uh, 12 through to 14. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. Then he repeats it again, changes it a little. I write to you, little children, you've known the father. I've written to you, fathers, you've known him is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now notice, uh, what I'm going to talk today is about how to overcome the accuser. I want to help you understand the, the hidden battle that you face. But before we do that, I want you to see in this verse, in this uh, two verses here, it identifies three levels of spiritual maturity. Now, spiritual maturity has got nothing to do with how long you've been coming to church got nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. Spiritual maturity has to do with the process of transformation internally. So let's have a look in this. I, I could develop it a lot, but I'm going to leave it for another time. I just want to start at this point because I want to pick up the young man. And uh, he noticed he, he identifies three groups of people. Number one is children. Children, and uh, it refers to very young. It, 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 the word that's used is one that's greatly beloved. It's a greatly beloved young child, like an infant, okay? And uh, notice the message he has is a message that young children need. The message is, your sins are forgiven. God loves you. God accepts you. God welcomes you. God is a loving father. And if you've blown it, made mistakes, come back to him. He'll welcome you into his arms. In other words, it has to do, notice the focus there is on uh, knowing that you're forgiven. In other words, children, being fairly self-centered, are always mucking up and doing things wrong. And what he wants us to understand, if you're a child, a spiritual child, probably your preoccupation is whether God loves you and whether you're forgiven and whether you can get on with God or not. Then he talks about another category of group of people, uh, and uh, he identifies them, and he calls them young men. And the word there, young men, refers to someone uh, physically in that day. That word would have meant someone under the age of 40. So anywhere under 40, you're a young man. But in the context here, this is spiritual. So he's talking about young men. And notice what he says about young men. And he says this, identifies, here's the characteristics of young men. Number, number one, they are strong. In other words, forceful. They're not passive. They're not shut down. They're not locked up in themselves. They're not uh, uh, immature. There's a strength inside them that comes out of their walk with God. Second thing it says, the Word of God abides in you. Now, that's not the rhema, God speaking personally, prophetic. This is to do with the written Word of God, the principles of God. So what you could say is the Word and ways of God have been built into your life. And then he talks about a third group of people, fathers. He said, you've known him who's from the beginning. Uh, that word is uh, 
uh, is referred to the principality. In other words, he said, you, you have known intimately God as a father. Now, if you're a spiritual father, that will mean that certain things are happening. It means that you have a care for others. You are caring for those who are younger in the faith. You are nurturing them, guiding them, and helping them, and bringing, you're revealing the father heart of God to them. So here's the question I have for you. Because I'm only going to focus on one of them at the moment, which is a young man. Where do you categorize yourself? See? So just where do you categorize that? And I want you just to think. Because in the way he writes to them, he talks about the way they think. A father is concerned about the younger that they grow and be cared for and they be nurtured and he invests his life into helping them and, in and, and raising them up. So here's a question then. How many people are you investing your life into to work with, to cultivate, to love, to develop, and to grow into maturity in Christ? If the answer is none, you're not a spiritual father. No matter what age you are or how long you've been in church. If you're a young man, then there's a strength in you. That means you're not fickle and pushed around, up and down on your emotions. It means you've got into the Word of God. It means when demonic spirits attack you and come against you, you've learned to recognize it and deal with it. And then the other group of children who are needing loving and nurturing and gathering up and someone to ring them and touch base with them and make sure that they're not upset. Or, You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not going to ask for an answer on this one. I just want you to think. I want you to think. And I think that many people actually would find themselves in the realm infant. And God wants us to grow up and mature. And our focus next year will be on the growing process helping the church to grow, so at least we can become strong and the Word in us and overcome the devil. Amen? Amen. Well, when did you last cast a demon out of someone? I mean, when did you last fight off a spiritual attack? Yeah, well, that's great. Good, you're a winner. You're here. That tells me you're a winner. Many people, they get a spiritual attack, they're not here. They've been defeated. Okay, so let's go there. I want you to look at me in 1 Peter 5, and I want to pick up something and open up something the Lord has just quickened to me over a period of time, and, and uh, I, each time I look at it, a little more is coming to me, and I want to help you with this, because uh, today I got, uh, last night I got some fresh things from it again. 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 8 through to 10, and uh, he reads in verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. Now, Peter is an apostle, and he's writing out of personal experience. Now, what he's doing is he's, he's writing to talk to the church and help the church to mature and to grow. And at this point, he drops into something. He's speaking out of a father's heart, out of someone who really blew it big time. Now, blowing it big time is not a problem if you learn from it. Blowing it big time and then repeating it is a real disaster. In other words, God's not worried if you make mistakes. Not God's not worried if you fail. Failure is not fatal in the kingdom, not at all. Failure is an opportunity to learn and grow. And I want to show that Peter, in the counsel he's giving, he starts off with a warning, and then he gives advice. So we want to look first of all at the warning, because I want to speak about what he's warning about. Now, this is a man who's walked with the Lord, who in a 
season when he was full of confidence, having done three years as an apostle, walking with Jesus, and he, he totally failed and fell. I'm going to look at that just in a short time because there's a reason he failed and fell. And you want to find the reason and then know what to do so it doesn't happen to you. So as we go through this, I want to share with you uh, several thing, insights that come out of just that passage there. So notice it says, be sober, uh, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So let me give you several points on this. Number one, you have an adversary. You have a personal adversary. You have an adversary. The Bible is very, very clear. In other words, every person is involved in a spiritual conflict. There is no... If you're born into this world, you're born into a spiritual warfare zone. You are born into a spiritual conflict. So notice, you have an adversary. He's writing to the church. There is no place of neutrality. There's no place of hiding. You're either overcoming or you're being overcome. But you don't stay static very long. And being overcome can be just one day away. He says, you have an adversary. The word adversary... Is the word antitikos, meaning an opponent at law. And I'll explain what that means. It means someone who comes against you and brings a law case against you. So number one, you have an adversary. Number two, your adversary is the devil. It says your adversary, the devil. The word devil means an accuser. Someone whose role or whose nature it is to come against you and make accusations. Now, the Bible uses several names to describe the devil. I won't go into them now. But each one of the names uh, describes an aspect of what he does. And so the name devil means an accuser, someone who looks to find fault in your life and then to raise an accusation against you. We need to know where he raises it and how he does it and what to do about it. Now, the thing you need to see is this is not personally the devil. He's not interested in you. When it says the devil's doing this, it means somewhere way, 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 way down at a very low level, there are demons assigned to you. Now, that's quite an alarming thought. When you're born into this world, you're born with a call of God on your life. You're born with an assignment. In other words, before you were born into this world, God prepared something to do with your life, something for your life to accomplish, not just that you'd grow up and get old and die, but that you would advance the kingdom of God, that lives would be positively impacted through you. So you were born, it's your responsibility to discover the assignment, connect with God and grow and fulfill it. But at the same time, there are demons assigned to you. They're assigned to you. So it says, your adversary, the devil. So you're involved in a spiritual warfare, you have someone against you who's looking to find fault, you have an adversary. So these are low-level demons assigned to you. Notice the third thing it tells us. It says the devil walks about. So that tells us you are under constant observation. That's the thing that people don't get. We're used to hiding. We're used to secrecy. We're used to being alone. We're used to having our own life and being private. We don't ever think too much that there's a spirit we're watching. And I'm going to show you very clearly that it's watching. And I'll show you what it's looking at and what it's observing, and then what it does with it. Okay, so uh, your adversary, the devil, he walks about. The word walk about means to tread all around. Or it means to encircle you. Uh, uh, one translation of that word means to prowl like a wild animal. And so it uses the comparison of a lion 
that prowls looking for prey that he might devour it, completely consume and destroy. So the word there means to tread around or to circle you. Uh, another meaning or translation of that word means uh, to follow you like a companion. To follow you like a companion. And another meaning of the word means to be totally occupied. In other words, that's his assignment. Now this is, as you can see, as we start to look at the verse, you start to get insight, and, and it tells us what he's doing. They're not just following you around. It says, seeking whom he made devour. The word seeking means... It means literally to carefully look to accomplish something. It means to make plots and strategies how to defeat you. Now you're starting to get the picture of what Peter is saying. Now Peter is writing from first-hand experience. And what he's saying is that while you're living in this world, you live in a spiritual war zone in which you are opposed. There are demonic spirits assigned to you. Their role is to circle you and observe you and to watch your lifestyle and to plan how they can defeat you, how they can destroy. Jesus said, the devil only comes to seek, kill, and destroy. So whatever's of value to you, they want to destroy. Number one thing they want to destroy, and I'll develop this a bit later, is your positioning, where God has positioned you. When you become a, when you're not a Christian, you have no positioning spiritually at all. You're under dominion and have these things have access to your life. But once you become a Christian, you are positioned in relationship with Christ. The devil's number one thing is to remove you out of your position and keep you ignorant of the authority you have and the influence you have and the power you can bring to bear in the community because of your positioning. He also wants to, the Bible tells us, God sets the members in the body as a please Him. God puts you in a church where you can grow, develop, mature, so you can learn to express and develop the ministry God's given you. He wants to get you out of that place as well. Now, there are many other things He wants to get you out of, but I'll leave those for other time. Uh, I just want you to, to, to just get this, this picture, that you have an adversary. Now, this is not just something imaginary. This is something real. You're either ignorant of it or aware of it. Now, here's, a, here's the next thing that uh, you may like to uh, understand. There's another insight on this. Evil spirits can discern your true spiritual condition. Evil spirits can discern your true spiritual condition. Now, you can walk into church and dress up nicely, dress up in a suit, look good. No one knows what's going on in your life. And people do that. And then every now and then, we get a bit of a shock when something's in the paper and someone's exposed or outed, and you find they were wonderful in church, but actually there was corruption in their life. We get shocked at it, but we should not be shocked at it because all that's happening is what was always visible to the spirit world now is in the newspaper, so you can read it. But it was always visible. Now, how do I know that? Because Jesus taught that. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, verse 45, he said, when the evil spirit is cast out of a man, the unclean spirit cast out of a man, walks through dry places seeking rest and finds none, then he says, I will return to my house from where I've come out. Now, here's the verse. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. In other words, the word find means to discern the true condition of someone. So in other words, evil spirits even if they're cast out of you, will return unless you do something about your condition. There is no neutral place here. 
So he says, they return. And what's that? They can find you. In other words, you think you can hide? Oh, hop on a bus, go somewhere else. No, you can't hide from the spirit world. You can't hide from God. You can't hide from the realm of the spirit realm because it's a supernatural realm. It's not a natural realm. It's not limited with natural eyes. From the spiritual realm, you are completely visible. And the Bible tells us Jesus taught this. He finds it empty. That means unoccupied, not filled, not engaged serving God. It means to be on a holiday. Now, how about that? Do you know Christians that spiritually are on a holiday, that spiritually are not engaged with God? Well, I don't think you can hide your condition from the spirit world. It's an open door and an open invitation for something to happen to you. I can remember when we were in Danny Burke, we used to kill our own meat. Now, here's the thing you had to do with meat. You'd get the meat and hang it up for a bit, and then you'd leave it to season, then you bring it in, you can cut it up and cook it. But here's the thing you had to do. You had to make sure it was covered. Because if there's any raw meat was not covered, flies would quickly find it. Blowflies would come, and they would lay their eggs in the raw meat. How they discovered it, I've got no idea. Must have given out a smell. Must have given out something, but you know, you look around, there's not a fly to be seen, there's nothing around, you hang some meat up in the garage, you leave the door a little bit open, dear God, that was just full of flies. And it's interesting that Beelzebub's called the Lord of Flies. In other words, wherever there's raw meat, wherever there's exposed flesh, wherever there's sin in your life, or areas of brokenness that you will not deal with, they are like the raw meat the flies come to. Spirits see them and are attracted to them, and can identify them. How about that? They all got real quiet now. This is really some stuff God's been showing me recently. Really quite, really opened my eyes a little bit, see? So, what is it that spirits are watching for? Like we said, it said that the, the spirits circle around, observing your lifestyle. What is it they're watching? What is it they're looking for? What is it they're identifying? I'm glad you asked. Here they are. Number one, your words. Demons listen to your words. Your words can authorize them to act. Not only act against you, but act against other people. Because one of the things that God has given us is authority with words to initiate things in the spirit world. That's why when you gossip, when you criticize, when you complain, when you speak about people behind their back, a spirit of murder is released against them and it came from you. The second thing, actions. Demons watch your actions. They watch what you do. They watch what you say. Listen to what you're saying. That's why we lead people in a prayer. That's why when we lead the sinner's prayer, we, that you don't have to shout it out. You don't have to speak out loud. You just need to speak, and the whole spirit world is listening. And it's observing what's coming out of your mouth. Is there any authorization against you or against anyone else? Are you authorizing by your words them to go against someone. Huh? Your actions. Are your actions and your deeds creating a legal right for them to enter your life? I'll show you the example of two uh, people, uh, one where the demon entered their life and one where it was given permission to afflict them. And it all has to do with the observing of the person and what they're saying and doing. Third thing is uh, demons can see and observe your sins. Any sins in secret are visible in the spirit world. Any violation of God's law, whether it be intentional or unintentional, is visible in the spirit world. 
creates a legal right, a legal ground for spirits to have access. That's why Ephesians 4 says, do not give a right or a ground to the devil. Fourth thing, fifth thing, your motives. Demons can discern what is moving you. They, now, they may not be able to read. I don't think they can read everything. I don't think they can tell all that's going on in your thoughts. But they, and I don't think they can tell all that's in your heart. But if you watch a person, you can see what moves them. What moves you is your motives. See? So if you listen to people speaking and watch how they're responding, you'll see their motives. So if a person's operating out of offense, you'll see that offenses are moving them. If a person is operating out of lust, you'll see that lust is moving them in a certain direction. So if you watch someone, you'll see what's moving them. In other words, demons can discern very clearly what motivates you. And I'll show you in a moment, look at Scripture, how they're actually able to discern exactly what was moving the disciples and on that basis obtained a legal right to do something to them. Okay, now let's have a look a little further. So they can see your motives. They can discern what your motives are. Third thing, uh, so next thing is they can, uh, uh, the, th the, the uh, that must be the fifth thing. The, the sixth thing is uh, the thoughts. Now, they can't read your thoughts. I've come to convinced demons can't read your thoughts. However, this is what the Lord showed me about a year ago. It's really simple. If you are talking to someone and they are listening, you feel a draw. Okay? Now, if the person stops listening, you stop feeling the draw. You feel like they're disconnected. How many have known that experience? Well, okay, you get it. If the demons come and put thoughts in your mind, you start to listen and entertain them, they feel the draw and keep it up. If you reject them and stop them, they feel the severing straight away, and they know there's no door through there for you. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. See, you knew it, but we often don't think spiritually we just get stuck in a, living, in a natural world, don't realize. So if you're drawing on something, so if you start to watch something and feed on it and it's unclean, demons can tell that you're drawing. Okay? If, you, if, if thoughts are put into your mind about someone and you start to listen to them and draw on them, demons can see what's going on and what, you, what, what you're drawing from, and they can discern then what's in your heart. Hey. Uh, and lastly, seventh, uh, and this is the positive one, demons can discern the authority and anointing you carry as a believer. So in other words, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you carry a measure of anointing, you carry a measure of authority. Everyone is given a certain measure of grace. It's our responsibility to grow in the anointing and grow in authority personally. Okay, then now, so demons can tell that. I, can, I know that they can tell that because uh, I've had a number of reports of people uh, who were who were struggling with demons and uh, what happened to them uh, revealed very clearly. I, mean, I was in a place in Bali. I was about uh, 70 meters away from some people doing witchcraft and I just quietly prayed in tongues. Now, no one could hear me. I wasn't even praying loud enough for the people next to me to hear me. And the people doing the witchcraft stuff with the snakes stopped what they were doing, came over and spoke to my interpreter and said, hey, could you get him to stop that? We can't do what we're doing while he is doing that. Oh, snakes, yeah, yeah, Bali. Sorcerers, sorcerers work with snakes, some of them, yeah, especially up in Asia, up in Indonesia, and uh, these guys were from Borneo. The snakes are a big part of it. 
I won't go into all of that. We'll stick with what God wants to teach you to say. <laughs> okay, then. So spirits observe you, and then they establish where there's an opportunity to build a law case against you to, uh, uh, to demand the right to come and afflict your life with something. Now, here's the good, the good news is, or well, a lot of good news, but here's part of the good news. Part of the good news is demons cannot gain access to your life unless the opportunity is given. But they will circle you looking for the opportunity, provoking the opportunity, and if you give it, then they have a case against you, a law case against you. And if you don't deal with that thing, then they have a right to come and afflict you, which is why many people suffer sicknesses, why they suffer family calamities, they suffer accidents, all kinds of many, many, many kinds of things that people suffer. Jesus tells us, or the, the Bible tells us, every good gift comes from God, so those things did not come from God. And many times they come from the demonic realm. Okay, then. So, so let's just move on. I want to share with you a few more things about this. Now, uh, the word there, uh, t- uh, and uh, let's have a look at Luke chapter 22. I want to show you why Peter is saying this. I want to show you why Peter is saying this. Because it's based on this passage here that is, brings revelation on this. Re- and, and in Luke chapter 22, it said in verse 31, now this is the very end of Jesus' ministry, the Last Supper time. He's talking to the disciples, and then he brings a revelation to, to them all. Although he addresses Simon... The language is plural. You means everyone. So he's talking to all the disciples. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And I have prayed that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Okay, getting the idea? Simon, Simon is a very affectionate term saying, uh, when he says Simon, Simon, it's really saying, I want you to know how much I love you, how valuable you are to me. But he's saying, nevertheless, Satan, that word Satan is the accuser, the accuser. Revelations 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night. So there is a relentless activity where the devil accuses us. And the word accuse means to be a plaintiff in a legal case, means to stand against you in a law court, means to be like a a prosecutor in in a court. Now, there may be one or two people here being to court. I have been to court. More than once, I'm sad to say, and uh, very embarrassing it was indeed. And uh, anyway, I did. Now, when you go to court, it's interesting. There are, there are several people that appear in the court. Uh, number one, there is the prosecutor or the plaintiff, the person who's raising the case against you, and they have a list of the facts. They have seen something in your life. In this case, I was speeding down Mike and I, and I in my old V8, and I got picked up. Uh, I was, uh, I had a few drinks. I've been away from a wedding, and and uh, I was going down the road there, and and uh, and uh, anyway, thundering down the road in the V8, and I got picked up. So anyway, stopped me, and uh, I wasn't drunk or anything like that, but I'd gone too fast. So anyway, I took down all the details, and then I have to appear in court. Those days, you had to appear in court. Not so many of it happening now today, you don't appear in court, you just pay the fine. Anyway, those days, you had to appear in court. So I had to go and turn up in court. So you turn up in court. Well, now, when you turn up in court, of course, there is the prosecutor. The prosecutor has the charge. You have the date, the time, the place, everything. They read it out. They read out your name. They read out who you are. They read out where you live, they read out what you do, then they read out what you did. Very embarrassing. You feel very humiliated. (laughs) You you, you might have been cocky the day before, but when you're in court, that's not the place to be like that. That's usually when your head goes down because 
something's being read out and you know it's true. And he read it out. He got the place where it happened. He got the time it happened, the day it happened. He got exactly what I was driving, how fast I was going. He had the whole lot there. In other words, he made a case against me. Now, when a case is made against you, there is someone there who hears the case. He's called the judge. And the judge will hear the case for you, against you, and then the, the defense you offer. And if the defense is good enough, then the case is uh, dismissed and you are free. If he hears the case and there's no defense, automatically you are judged and found guilty and pay a penalty. So the role of the judge is listen to all the evidence against and for and to come to a decision and then to issue a decree that allows punishment or penalty to take place. You all know that. And uh, anyway, so then you have someone else. You have an advocate, a lawyer. If you've got enough money, you buy a lawyer. If you haven't, you've got to speak up for yourself. And if you, speak, you have a lawyer, the lawyer's only any good if you, you tell him something to say. In other words, he has to have something to work with. So if you tell him, listen, I did exactly what they said. I was guilty. Then you've got nothing to work with. If you say, well, I've got evidence I was somewhere else. Oh, now I've got something to work with. So there needs to be something. So, so the Bible tells us that God is the judge of all men. Hebrews 12. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, little children, here it is. This is a lot to do with younger people in the faith who are always blowing it, making mistakes, doing something goofy. He's saying, listen, little children, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You have a lawyer. In other words, in the court, in the realm of, of where you're assessed, there is someone who will speak on your behalf. He's your advocate, the one who speaks on your behalf. He's your intercessor. He's your advocate. His name is Jesus Christ who speaks on your behalf. Now, what can he speak on behalf of? Well, he can speak on behalf. If you have sinned and broken the law of God, you need to come clean and agree with your adversary while you're in the court. Because if you don't agree with him, then you just bring out all the evidence, and there you are. You're shamed in front of everyone. So in the court, if you can't produce a defense, if you can't produce any evidence that this was not you, then you are judged guilty and pay the penalty. So what it's saying here is there is a court, a spiritual realm. In the realm of heaven, the devil acts constantly to accuse you. It says day and night. That means the activity of observing you is day and night, and the accusations against you are day and night. And if there's no answer, if you don't even know that's going on, then there's no freedom for you to escape what's going to happen. Now understand, it's not God wants to punish us. God sent Jesus to pay the price for all our sins. He, God was so generous and loving and so desiring we wouldn't be punished, He went out of His way to be absolutely generous and provide a full salvation in the person of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, our trespasses, our iniquities, our curses, our sorrows, our traumas, every aspect of human life that could give grounds for a demon to access your life. Jesus has already paid the price for it. However, if you have not bought it to the cross, there is no answer for the case. And therefore, the demons have a right to afflict you. This is why so many people suffer unnecessarily 
because they don't keep their life clean with God and constantly give grounds for spirits to attack them. Then they come and they'll try to give and, they'll, and think that God will bless them just because they're giving. Well, God is great and He's generous, but you've got to walk in the life principles. And many times there are issues and things that demons know about that we're not aware of that they use as a lever against us. That's why when we have a freedom retreat, we deal with issues called generational curses where there's things in your whole family line that have allowed demons to enter your life. For many people, that's quite a mystery. But quite clearly, if you look at families, you can see the similarity between children and their parents and their grandparents. If there's a physical similarity, the spiritual influences are working down through that line as well. So the Bible is very clear that when family members open up the door for demons, that gives legal grounds for them to afflict generation after generation after generation. I prayed for one lady. She came up on a word of knowledge on a trauma in a car accident. I asked her what had happened. She was in a car accident. Uh, and uh, and uh, I was the only survivor. Uh, the other people died. And I said, wow, that's so tragic. We want to pray for you. She said, oh, no, no, no. No, she said, it wasn't just one, eight accidents. I've been in eight fatal accidents. I said, eight fatal accidents? I said, that is unreal. I've never heard of anyone in all my years of ministry that had, they were involved in eight fatal accidents and survived them all. I said, you've got something against you. Was your mother involved as a, in spiritism and witchcraft, those kind of things? She said, oh, you're deeply involved. I said, really? I said, there's a curse operating in your family that's bringing death and destruction following you. I won't be getting in a car with you. <laughs> Next, I didn't say that at all. <laughs> but you understand if you're not covered and protected, then this thing has access until it's stopped. So the natures of curses are, are that they keep going until you actually deal with them. And the dealing with them is very, very simple. It's not even a very difficult task. It's just you've got to realize this is our life with God is not trivial. It's important. There's people's salvation depend on it. There's things to be done that depend on you walking with God. So we want to walk right. Amen? Now, now have a look at this. I'll show you how this all happened. Here it is. And notice what he said. Satan has desired you. That means he asked and got permission by his asking. So the devil couldn't attack them without asking and getting permission. See? So Satan sought permission to do what? He, he sought permission to shake them up like wheat. Now, this is what you do with wheat. wheat and, when they bring the wheat in, it's mixed up with chaff, which is uh, just the husks, and it's just uh, not very, it's useless. It's absolutely useless. They just, so what they do is they get on top of a hill, and they throw the wheat and the chaff in the air and let the wind come, and the wind would pick the light stuff and blow it away, and then the wheat would fall to the ground. They gather the wheat into the barn. That's how it worked. So the chaff was just so, so lightweight and worthless, the wind would carry it away. That's what they did. So, so he said he asked permission to sift him like wheat. Now, he got the permission. That's the, that's the interesting thing. So why did he get the permission? How come he got permission? Well, if you look at the story, you'll see it's really easy. Now, now here's, how, here's how you see it. Verse 24. Verse 24. Now, this, this is the thing. The first thing you notice is the devil heard the conversation. Verse 24, what were they doing? There was a dispute or a strife among them who should be considered the greatest. So they were having an argument at the Last Supper, and the devil is watching the argument and listening to their words. On the basis of that, he's able to come up and say, I see pride, self-promotion, ambition. You guys are crooks. You're all crooks. You're all in this for what you can get. There's nothing genuine about any one of you. The whole lot of you are crooks. 
and I got the conversation on record that I was listening to. So right there, I mean, we had some wonderful message on the communion, but right in the middle of the communion, right there, just after it's happened, they're having a row about who's important. A row about it, what? Jesus already taught on that before. And now he has to teach them again. He said, listen, in the world, everyone wants to be important. But he says, in the kingdom, if you want to be important, learn to be a servant. Now, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that pride is the root of this kind of strife and arguing. So what the devil could discern from looking and listening was this. You guys are full of pride. You guys are full of selfish ambition. You guys are promoting yourself. I see what's going on here. I demand a right to afflict them. And he got it. That's a disturbing thing. He got the right to afflict them. What did, it, what did affliction look like? Now, he didn't get the right to enter them. But if you read in verse 1 and 2, he entered Judas at that time. So he got 12 disciples. One of them he enters, in other words, the spirit got into his life, and the other 11, he got the permission to give him a shake-up. How did he get the permission to enter Judas' life? Well, in John chapter 13 and verse 2, it says, the devil had put it into his heart to betray Jesus. He was carrying offenses about Jesus, and he wanted to make some money. He thought Jesus would spring himself out of the trap, and so that he received the thought then he began to speak it out and negotiate a deal with the Pharisees, and that's what sealed it. The devil put the thought in his heart and saw his response, and then the Bible says he was given one last space for grace where Jesus offered him the piece of bread at the communion table, and he still went ahead and did it and betrayed him. That's when the devil entered him. So you notice, with Judas, he had violated the law of God a right had been given. Now, what did he do? It was a betrayal of relationship. When you betray relationships, you are a betrayer, and a right is given for things to come and torment you. See, we should, not, we should take these things seriously. They're, they're, they're clear and evident. With the other disciples, they did not get the right, the devil did not get the right to enter them. But he did get the right to afflict them. What does that look like? To afflict them means to manipulate their people and circumstances so they came under immense pressure that would shake them up. Now, how many of us at various times in our life have gone through pressures with people and circumstances and trouble that shook your life up? I wonder how many of those came because a demonic spirit was giving you a shake-up because there was a grounds to do it. Oh, we're all gotten real quiet now. Now, it says, Jesus, this is how Jesus responded. He said, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. So in other words, Jesus saw in the spirit what was going on. He was aware in the spirit because he constantly prayed for his disciples. And so I have your parents, pray for your children, pray for your family, pray for your grandchildren, keep them covered in prayer, and respond to the little impressions God is. Yet I pray that when you are converted, you'll strengthen the brethren. Okay, he says, notice that. He's saying, I know what's going to happen, and I can't stop it happening because you've got this stuff in your heart, and I've tried to get it out, but you have not responded. So if you won't get it out by my teaching, I've got another way of getting it sorted out. I'm going to let the devil come against you for a season. And so 
what happened was Peter and all the others come under pressure and fear filled their hearts and they fled and denied Jesus and abandoned the one that a few minutes before he said, you can count on me, I'll never leave you. Listen, I've heard a few people over my years say that. Oh, pastor, I'm committed, I'm with you. I think, oh, dear God, I wonder for how long. Because almost everyone who ever said that to me vanished within a very short time. In other words, the words they spoke were put to test. So you make commitments seriously and you mean what you do. Don't just make things lightly. It's not how we walk with God. You want to walk in the fear of God? You want to understand the spirit world? It'll help you get the fear of God around your life. Okay, so said, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. In other words, this is it. After you've had this experience, you're, I've been praying that your trust and your faith would not let go. That even though you failed, you would still hang on to God and God will hang on to you. As a result of that, you'll repent and have a turnaround of heart. And as a result of having a turnaround of heart, you'll be positioned to strengthen your brethren. And if you read at the end of the chapter, it said the cock crowed three times and Peter realized what had happened. It says he wept bitterly. That word means to sob deeply and bitterly. In other words, he, he realized how deeply he'd fallen in the hole in spite of all his self-confidence, and his heart attitude was to repent. He sobbed. It wasn't just like your little tears. He deeply repented of his pride and the things that were there. Now, this is the man that stands up at Pentecost and preaches, and people get saved. God restores them. The repentant person, God restores. See? And this is why Peter, in 1 Peter 5, is saying, Now, listen, guys, I want to talk to you about something. Don't take this lightly. You have an adversary, the devil, who seeks, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You need to resist. You need to stand up to this. You need to recognize what's going on and make a stand. So I'm running out of time. I'll just give you the, just the keys because I can't, can't leave it without giving you a few keys of what you need to do. You can put them under two headings very, very simply. In the, and here they are. He said, if you go back into 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll finish there. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, and here it is. Now the key, sometimes it's all there, and there's lots of words. You just got to pull it out and say, what is it is being, is being said here? Notice what he says, verse 6, verse 5. God humble, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What did they have as a problem? What, did Peter, what was Peter's problem? Pride. So what does he say? God resists or obstructs the progress of the proud, but he gives grace or empowerment to the humble. So, so before he starts off about resisting the devil, he then says, now you need everyone be clothed with humility to one another. So in other words, don't be arrogant towards each other in the church. Rather, have a humble attitude and see the value of every other person. You are not better than anyone else. Just be clothed with humility. Don't have a superior attitude. Don't look down on others because of where they come from, their lack of education, their lack of finance, or, or the troubles they've been through, or the sins they've been in. Don't look down on people. Be clothed with humility. In other words, put on a humble spirit because you could be right down there among them and in that same pit. So he says, be clothed with humility. Why? Because 
God gives grace to humble people. You know why you want to walk humbly with God? Because you'll be empowered. If you are walking humbly with God, you can absolutely guarantee the flow of His grace, the flow of His forgiveness, the flow of His life, the flow of His favor, the flow of opportunities. You can guarantee it. But you've got to humble yourself or be humbled. Peter didn't stand up and say, well, I was very proud, man. He's saying, well, God resists proud people and gives grace to humble people, guys. So humble yourselves. Now, this is an apostle giving apostolic instruction, saying humility is crucial to walking with God. I've been there and done all the other stuff. He said, guys, it got me in the deepest of water and the most humiliating failure of my life. So he didn't make the focus the devil. He just said, you need to make sure you're properly aligned with God. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. James says the same thing. He uses a lot of slightly different words, but in James 4, 7, he says, submit to God, then resist the devil and he'll flee. It's the same thing. So to humble yourself under God is to submit to him. It's not just a little bit of Sunday Christianity. It's actually surrendering your life to Him. To submit means to position yourself rightly towards God. It means to take a posture. It means to take an attitude where you yield and allow Him to lead you. You submit to His leadership. It's a military term, meaning come under leadership so you can win the battle. If everyone in the army got their own idea, well, I'm going to do this, well, I'm going to do that, I don't like to do that, I don't like the shooting, I'm out of here. You know, if everyone did that, you'd never win a battle. And the Bible tells us very clearly the key to winning every spiritual battle is to humble yourself, submit to God. And it's not just a matter of coming under, under Him in some mystical way. I surrender to Him. I yield to Him. The area that you're having the conflict is probably the area you're not yielding. And God's just helping you get your attention. Yield it so you can discover the grace of God to overcome. God has already provided for the forgiveness. He's already provided everything you need. But you've got to come to the lawyer. You've got to come to your advocate with a repentant heart. Repentance is foundational to walking with God. We repent of our words, which were sharp and nasty and hasty and cutting and critical and unjust. We repent of our attitudes, which are unkind, unloving, unthoughtful, self-centered. We repent of the things we've done. Why? Because we want to be in a position where we can have authority. You want to be in a position where the anointing of the Holy Ghost works through you. People wonder why they have so little of God. I tell you why. Because it's pride. Because it's unrepentant stuff. And because we won't yield to Him. That's how you get it. People all love them. They want to come to a meeting and have hands laid on them again. There's some things only get when you surrender to Him. And that means surrendering daily. Not just once. You surrender constantly. And if you've got broken areas of your life, traumas in your life, and you've tried to cover them, conceal them, suppress them, surrender them. Give Him access so He can heal them because the devil smells it out like raw meat. So submit to God. That means repentance and confessing sin. It means forgiving. It means surrendering. It means claiming. Cleansing. In Revelation 12, 10, how they overcome the devil? By the blood of Jesus Christ, 
In other words, what he did on the cross legally made a right for me to be free. But it'll only work if I come and bring my stuff. If the devil is accusing you, bring it to the Lord. Say, God, he's right. I did it. It's every bit as bad as it sounds. And I repent of it right now. I am ashamed of my sin. I ask your forgiveness and I humbly receive it right now. I forgive those who have offended me. And now I claim the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. For once on one time, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. That means you can depend on Him. He's just. That means it's a law situation where in the court of law, if you've confessed, then it's forgiven. It's claims. It's it. The devil can't use it against you. He says you need to resist. He says, overcome the blood of, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. Just quickly then, to resist the devil, here's the sort of things he said. Be sober. In other words, keep your mind clear. If something's got a hold of you, starting to affect your emotions and your thoughts, just take it, be alert to it and stop it. Fear, anxiety, lust, uncleanness, uh, all kinds of stuff. Be vigilant. In other words, be alert to what's going on in your life. He says, if you want to resist the devil, stay alert. Stay alert. What's happening in your thought life? What's happening in your emotions? What's happening in your finances? Stay alert. Don't just drift along like a zombie. Don't be the walking dead. Be aware of your life. Ready quickly to deal with stuff as the Holy Spirit shows you because as you're sensitive to Him, you get more and more and more of Him. Pray in the Holy Ghost because that will strengthen your spirit. Get the Word of God into you because as you put the principles into practice, then your life begins to become strong. As you pray in the Holy Ghost, your life begins to become stronger. As you submit to God and obey Him, your life becomes stronger. And then if the devil comes, rebuke him quickly. Speak. Just speak out. Command those things to leave you. Use your voice to speak the Word of God. Bible says he has ordained or he set it in place that out of even young people, if you will praise God, you'll shut up the enemy. You've got to do it. We have to be proactive in this area, become mature young men and women in Christ. The Word of God is in you. Strong. Overcome the devil. Just close your eyes right now. I believe God's wanting to break through in many people's lives over these accusations over your life. Now, right now, just close your eyes. I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me if there's any place in my heart, any landing place in my heart where accusations can lie. Is there something I've done in my words that I need to repent of? Something in my thoughts I need to repent of? Something in my emotions I need to bring to you? Something in my motives unright. Something in my uh, the way I what I've done is not right. Lord, show me right now so I can deal with it. Is there someone I'm holding unforgiveness against? Lord, show me right now so I can quickly deal with it. Is there an issue I need to put right with someone? Show me right now, Holy Ghost. I'm willing to surrender and put it right. I want to run under the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to come under the covering of what he did on the cross. I want everything to be covered. I don't want that devil to have any access to my life, to my marriage, to my children. What is God showing you right now? 
maybe you're suffering from accusation. The devil not only accuses us before God, he, he rattles into our mind. You're no good. You're this, you're that. You'll never make it. All that kind of voice. That's demonic noise. It's demonic noise. It's the voices of spirits, and you're in agreement with their lies. You've got to break that agreement with their lie, and the power can be broken off. Maybe someone's cursed you. Someone you admired and respected growing up, a father, mother, teacher, someone, a pastor, and they spoke over you and they spoke words, curse you. You're this, you're that, you're never, you're a failure. You're the, you know, when people in authority speak things over our life, they become an accusation. We receive it, it curses us, it gives demons room to access us. And they will until you stop. They're like rabbit dogs. They're just like a hungry, mangy pack of dogs. Any sign of weakness, they'll go after you. That's what it's like. Once you see that, not to be frightened of it, quite the contrary. In fact, if we submit to God and humble ourselves, then demons are terrified of us. They run in terror. They run in terror. See, Jesus, I know, that's what the demon said. Paul, I know. Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who you are? Child of the living God. Bought again by the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're struggling today, accusations, accusing thoughts, things that have accused you from the past, things that uh, you know that you need to deal with, why don't you say, God, I want to deal with this today, right now. I want to run to the front. Let's stand to our feet. I want us to flow back in that song, I need an encounter, because that's what we're needing. We're needing God to touch our lives. Why don't we make our way to the front right now? You know, there's things God's spoken about. God, I want to repent right now. I want to confess it. I want to deal with it. I want its power broken in my life. Come. Come right now. Come quickly. Come quickly to the front. God wants to touch you and set you free. Come. 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 You know you're being oppressed, harassed in some kind of way. Come. Come. There's many people need to come. Many people struggle in this area. Why don't you come right now? Come. 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 Don't hold back. Don't wait and wander. Just get in the flow of what God's doing right now. God has forgiven you. Come and take hold of it. Come and take hold of it. Come and take hold of it. Are you a person living carelessly? No prayer life, no word life. You say, God, I've been living carelessly. I've not been sober and vigilant. Lord, I'm repeating today. I want to come forward right now. Come, 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 come. Come. hands and worship the Lord. Don't just be passive. Don't just hold back. Say, God, I want to touch you today. I want my heart to be cleansed. I want to take my positioning as a child of the living God, walking closely to you, walking in your grace, walking in your power. Come, Holy Ghost. Come fall upon me, Lord. That's right, lift your hands. Oh, oh yes. Come on, start to reach out to him now. Expect the power of God to touch you. Thank you, Lord. How do we bring each area to the cross? 
cried to the cross. Our ambitions, our self-centeredness, our wrong thoughts, we bring them to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for all you did on the cross. Thank you for suffering in our place. Lord, we confess these things. We place them on the cross. We place every accusation on the cross. Lord, let the blood of Jesus cleanse, wash away, remove every accusation. Lord, today, release your power to touch people. Come on. Have a touch, touch, touch. Let your power come right now. Have a pour your spirit out. Touch people with power. Touch Bob right now. Break every accusation. Loose and release. 
Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that you give grace to the humble, that you help us, you empower us. You are for us. You're for our success in life. We thank you, Father. Father, let there be an increase in grace upon our lives, upon Bay City, upon our families. Father, help us to walk humbly in the fear of God. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. 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 Come on, let's give the Lord a clap, shall we? Let's celebrate His goodness to us.